Welcome to the Business Podcast, Episode 2. This episode is brought to you by absolutely no one. We have no sponsors. No one would, in their right mind, pay for this shit. Episode 2, Business Podcast today, we're talking about China. China. I feel as if China is very misunderstood in the business community. Some people look at it as the enemy. And I can understand why people do that. The media we consume is propaganda. Tries and makes us think that China is the enemy. But you got to think that there's a bunch of Chinese people thinking that we're the enemy. That's not really healthy. In business... I'm trying to make mine, you're trying to get yours, and we're not necessarily enemies. It's not not a zero-sum game. We can both benefit. And to do so, we have to understand each other. So I'm going to try and give some insight into Chinese business, Chinese history, Chinese culture. And this will make you a better business person when dealing with China, Chinese, and even East Asia as a whole. China has been around for 5,000 years. Their culture has permeated throughout the nations and surrounding cultures, the Koreas, Japan, Vietnam, all the countries surrounding China have been influenced by it. Just look at the language. Just look at the regional food dishes. One thing that is probably most paramount when understanding this culture is Confucianism. In America, we have a silly meme that is, you know, Confucius says... And it's, it's silly that we do that because Confucius did say a lot of things. He was a, he was a teacher, and his, his followers wrote those things down. Anyways, what I'm trying to get at is Confucianism is the backbone of Eastern culture. It stresses mercy. It stresses social order. Fulfillment of responsibilities, and it outlines certain relationships and how those relationships should be conducted, such as the sovereign to their subjects. Another one is father to son. A third is the elder to the younger brother. Another is the relationship between a husband and a wife. Riley, hush. Sorry, that's my dog. Riley? Okay. And then the fifth is the relationship between friend and friend. Now that you know that Confucianism is the backbone of Eastern culture, and that Confucianism dictates certain relationships, you can use that as a guide to forecast and project 
how people will act in certain situations, or how, at least how Eastern people will act in certain situations. And not in a master chess player, I'm five steps ahead of you sort of way, but as someone who did their due diligence and looked into the culture and wants to participate in that fashion, in that capacity. Now that we have a little bit of insight into Confucianism, into Chinese culture, let's talk about Chinese history briefly, just to catch everyone up to speed. So China is 5,000 years old, and throughout those 5,000 years, they have invented a lot of things. They have accumulated a vast library of knowledge And they have been a world superpower multiple times throughout those 5,000 years. In one point of time, China was so large and so strong, they had absolutely everything that they ever needed. But, you know, they, they still wanted to maintain those, those trade lines those relationships. So a guy named Jung Hee got on this humongous boat. I'm talking like cruise ship, modern day cruise ship sized boat. And he traveled all along the Indian coast through the, you know, outside of the Middle East down to Africa. And what he did was just give stuff away. Just give these lavish gifts away to inspire and awe people and show them, hey, I'm the top dog. And he was, Jung Hee was flossing, all right? He was just going around the world, giving out these gifts just so, just so they knew China was the big dog. Right, so that was in the the 1400s, or I believe right around 1400, and then after a while, China went into a period of isolation, and around I believe 18th century, maybe the British came, and they were like, wow, you know, y'all y'all really got some, some good ports, and you got all these people, and, you know, you got the resources, and we, we really want to trade here. And China was like, nah, you know, we're just really trying to focus on ourselves right now, but, you, you know, thank you. It is, you know, it's, it's flattering. And Britain was like, well, see, it's not really, uh, it's not, it's, we're not asking you. We're, we're going to come in and we're, we're just going to start doing this stuff. And Chad was like, no, no, not feeling that whatsoever. And then Britain was like, oh, gosh, you know, the guys over in Britain sitting in their boardroom were like, oh, you know, like, what are we going to do? So... They decided to get opium into China. 
and basically got everyone addicted to opium. And then they fought some wars. They were called the Opium Wars. If you're a history fan, I'd definitely go look at it. Anyways, Britain winds up gaining access to these ports and continues uh, distributing opium to the Chinese people and taking their awesome tea. They have really good tea there. And selling those to its colonies in a mercantile fashion. So that that went on for a while till about the late 19th century, I believe, where Japan starts gaining power. And Japan comes in and they they take some provinces on the mainland and they start you know, buzzing around China, and this is a precursor to what will happen in later, this process takes a few decades, but later, right before the World World War II, China, uh, Japan comes into China, and they invade Nanking, the city of Nanking, and they perform atrocities atrocities that still define and dictate the relationship between china and japan until this day this event this raid of the city of nanking is referred to as the rape of nanking and like i said this this atrocity that was performed still today is in the minds of every Chinese person. The Chinese government still is demanding that Japan apologize for this incident. And it does dictate the relationship between those countries. And it might always be that way. In this time, between the British and the Japan just coming in, coming in and wrecking things, China did try and have a democracy. There was a strong leader named Sun Yat-sen. And he was a democratic force of good. At least that was what the propaganda that I was taught inside my American high school textbook said. Because he was democratic, so he was the good guy, right? And the communists that would later come are the bad guys, correct? Well, yes, sort of, because, you know, Mao Zedong, the communist leader that would wind up running China, was a really bad guy. But you, you, gotta, you gotta think about when you're told these things, that, you know, the people are being framed as the bad guy. Is it just because they have interests that are conflicting and hazardous to our own interests that they are the enemies, that they are the bad guys? Or are they truly bad guys like Mao Zedong? So, anyways, after World War, 
uh, Mao Zedong, communists, they rise to power, and this communism protrudes, continues, different leaders come in, but it's, it's more of the same up until about 30 years ago, when China says, we've, we've had enough. We are going to claim our rightful spot on top. And they begin transforming their nation. And doing so, not in the way that America wants them to do it in a democratic fashion, but rather in an authoritarian, communist fashion. They design things, they design systems, and they they put people to work, and they focus on exporting, manufacturing and exporting at an artificially low rate that other developed countries simply cannot match. It may not sound like the best strategy at first, but that is sort of the same strategy that Amazon took. You know, they said, we're going to do stuff for cheap, and we're going to be focused on volume. And that's exactly what China did, too. China was able to create, make themselves into a superpower once again by focusing on low-cost, high-volume strategy. Mr. Michael Porter would describe that as a cost-leader differentiation. That's a brief, somewhat inaccurate, but shortened story of the history of China and their rise to prominence. So now they're a superpower, okay? And they start doing, now, they're doing superpower things. They are investing in Africa. They are investing in South America. They are doing the whole capitalist, neo-colonialism thing that America has done for so long. But people get upset at this now. People in America are very upset that African countries are taking this Chinese money. African nations are taking this Chinese money and investing it in infrastructure, in roads and schools and hospitals. But we're getting mad at them because, well, China's the bad guy, right? They're the communist. They have conflicting interests. But from Africa's viewpoint, hey, America, hey, Western world, you came in here, you built all this infrastructure yourselves, and you used it to export our natural resources, make yourself rich, and consequently thwart and obstruct our growth for hundreds of years. So yeah, Africa says, we're going with China. 
They're giving us the money, and we're going to get to do it on our own, our way, and they're going to be our business partner. To America, that's really scary. It's scary because I'd like to throw out a little metaphor that may help you understand this dynamic if you're having a hard time visualizing why, you know, China's just doing their thing, and it's not really that bad. It may be in our perspective, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. So the metaphor is, I'm a, I'm a pretty young guy, right? Just graduated college, have all these new skills, and whatnot, technology, and I've gone into places that I've worked, and I've seen older people look at me and think, oh, this guy is here to take my job. And they don't want to work with me. They would rather obstruct and stop things and stop my growth rather than work together because they're afraid that they're going to lose their spot or, you know, their job, their livelihood. And that is a natural, that's a natural defense. Another area that China is working on, like I said, is South America. So we built our Panama Canal, which has a very interesting history as well. Maybe I'll dive deeper into that in another another episode. But China is now planning on building a Nicaraguan canal. It's that country's larger, but the canal would also be larger as well. And there's continuously growing more sea traffic that needs somewhere to go. So it's it's funny because you look at the Americans and what they're saying about that is, oh, it's going to ruin the environment. It's going to ruin Lake Nicaragua. It's going to displace thousands of these poor Nicaraguans that we care ever so much about. Really? Do you really care about those poor Nicaraguans and the environment down there? Or do we just want to impede? Do we just want to stop? Do we just want to change the rules that we used to grow so that the new guy can't come in and grow to the size that we grew? Guys, I'm I'm a very patriotic person, and I, I hope you're not taking this as some attack on American patriotism, but you can't facilitate and operate your business with the blinders of only an American. You have to use your peripherals. You have to understand the world aspect, the global aspect of things. You have to realize that the people that are being portrayed as enemies 
may not necessarily be an enemy to you, but rather the narrator has conflicting interest with that person, so they consider them an enemy, but they may not necessarily be an enemy to you. I'm very interested in seeing how all this plays out. There is a specific area where the two superpowers may clash. That is U.S. and China. And that is over the South China Sea. South China Sea is one of the most critical, important trade lanes of the world. So much cargo flows through this area. And China, the main superpower in that region of the world, wants dominance of that area. They want to control the seas. They want to control the air above it. And they've even gone as far as dumping tons, metric tons, so much sand in the ocean that it creates islands. They're literally building islands so they can claim that land and say, hey, you know, we have I we have territories over here. You guys, you know, can't be going through and sending your U.S. warships in there. So that's a potential area where to keep an eye on because the two the two forces may clash. But maybe we're in some new world where business the benefits of business and globalization overcome the need for war. It will be interesting to watch these things play out over the coming years and decades. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to my podcast today. If you've listened up to this point, please subscribe. Please leave a comment and a review. I would really appreciate it. That is all for episode two of the business podcast. I hope you learned something about China. I hope you can now operate better in your Chinese business dealings or Maybe just have a little little something to throw into the conversation next time people are talking about China. If you want to suggest a possible topic for the next episode, you can email bidnesspodcast at gmail.com or find us on LinkedIn. Also, I'm looking for local businesses in Atlanta that are interested in coming on and talking about their business. If you know anyone who may be interested, please tell them to email businesspodcast at gmail.com. The main takeaway from today's episode is look at the motive and the interest of the people who are telling you bad things about others.